Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview health and wellness practitioners across the globe to see what sets them apart. You will find out why they not only teach and talk about health, but how they walk the walk as well. If you ever wanted to see what others are doing on a daily basis to get healthy and be able to implement in your life, then you're in the right place. Also, I'd like to invite you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com and take your free brain health quiz today to see where the health of your brain lies. And for taking the quiz, you will get a copy of my book for free, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 39. In today's episode, I interview trainer and holistic lifestyle coach, Helen Navis. Be sure to stick around as we discuss banning plastic bottles, why everybody should have chickens in their backyard, as well as how Helen speaks so many languages. Alrighty, guys. Today we have Helen Nevj on another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. So, Helen, first question that I start with everybody on is, tell us about your health journey in ten sentences or less, please. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I was always into health and fitness uh, growing up. If it wasn't uh, skipping rope on the balcony, it was then getting into uh, ballet lessons or later on playing basketball or soccer. And then once I got to more adulthood, I always knew it was important. I actually I did a project at age 17 called Health and Fitness, even if I had any other topic I could have chosen from in the world, Health and Fitness was the topic I chose. So I guess somewhere along the lines, I knew where my future would be. And um, I carried on, I studied exercise science in university, and I specialized in adapted physical activity. And part of that reason was because my dad was in a wheelchair. So I probably wanted to help him as well as other people like him to be physically active. And from there, I got certified as an aerobic instructor to be have some more doors open to me. Teaching older adult fitness was one thing I wanted to do. Um, and I got a job as a coordinator at the YMCA, which was coordinating group fitness classes, um, supervising a cardiac rehabilitation program, adapted fitness program. Um, so that's been most of my journey. And then I started to encounter that there was more to health and fitness than just the physical. So my focus was always on physical movement, but I realized there was more to it than that. And um, JP Sears came to our local Y to offer the HLC1, Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 1 course from the Czech Institute. And I guess my journey into discovering more began there. So I carried on with uh, HLC Level 2 and 3. And uh, I found myself now training clients but applying those holistic principles and uh, I feel that for myself I'm still at the HLC level 2 level if you can call it that just because I do believe uh, I can only bring my clients to the level where I am at myself and so the journey has been a lot about my own discovery and to apply those principles other than just the physical side of things and uh, then apply it to them so I guess that's where I'm at. (laughs) So then talking about that like well, what, how do you work with clients? So is that always like on a one-on-one basis? Is it still through the group fitness classes? What does your current practice look like from that standpoint? Well, currently, 
I left my full-time job about six, seven months ago now, so I'm no longer coordinating, but I'm still teaching some group fitness classes, still teaching older adult fitness, as well as group cycling, and I do meet clients one-on-one. -on -one. Most of the clients are either at their homes or still at the YMCA, and they come with different varying abilities, disabilities, uh, challenges, and uh, applying the holistic coaching lessons I've learned to each individual is, uh, is what I try to do, but trying to meet the client at their level. In a group fitness setting, it's ensuring that it's not only about physical performance, but enjoying the activity, making sure they have fun, recognizing varying abilities and effort levels. Uh, yeah, so I, does that answer the question? No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you're talking about like the group fitness, talking about like working at the YMCA, I mean, what does your even current movement practice look like? Do you have like a set pattern? Do you like to change it up? What does that look like for you? I like to change it up, kind of go with how I feel. I always focused on working out, working out, and through uh, learning, through the Holistic Lifestyle Coaching course, I learned that sometimes you do need to stop and work in. And so I do practice uh, Tai Chi once a week. I do teach those classes, so the low-impact aerobics as well as spinning classes, so I get that interval training workout from time to time. If I feel like going out for a run, I'll go for a run. Um, sometimes I do enjoy that, but if I feel I haven't been getting the right amount of sleep or that I'm tired, then I won't go for that run. And I try to weight train once or twice a week. And my weight training is not necessarily following a set program that I create for myself. I've tried that and not really succeeded at sticking to it. So I kind of just go with the feel. If I feel like lifting free weights, I lift free weights. If I feel like doing some exercises on the ball, I'll do exercises on the ball. If it's more of a whole body, use my body weight workout, then I'll do that. I'll do some TRX or just some pull-ups and push-ups. And it doesn't have to be an hour long. It could be 30 minutes, depending on the time I have. And a good stretching segment at the end is what I try to uh, make sure I have enough time for as well, just to relax, breathe, and give my body a chance to stretch and, and relax. <laughs> I, I think that's great. Uh, you're saying like a lot of that, like, it goes by feel and I think that's something that a lot of people are lacking where it's you said if you don't necessarily write down your exercise program because if you write it down then it's like oh I have to follow this to the letter I can't deviate off of that but I think like talking about some of the principles like you said and you learn like along the HLC classes I think is great because okay you don't have to just go and work out every single time no matter what you're taking all those other factors in now going off of that though you said like you still feel almost that you're at that HLC2 level. What do you think it is that is, is, is almost limiting you from like getting, I guess, to another point? Or like what are you working on with yourself to advance your health uh, even at this time? I wasn't doing very much for myself. Being in the world of health and fitness and loving it, it was always hard for me to draw the line between work and play and never really had my own time for play. So I did love teaching classes. There's a lot of rewarding benefits at the end of teaching an amazing class. Uh, there are benefits of helping people. And yes, my career is around helping people, but I can't help people if I can't help myself. And recognizing that they will only reach the level that I myself have reached uh, means I'm limiting my own clients to further success. So I that was one reason for actually changing my career path and letting go of my full-time security job into diving into this, uh, you know, on my own training clients and just having a more flexible schedule. And one of my priorities was to make time to work out for myself, ensuring that I do 
take care of myself nutritionally, uh, physically, in all those areas. And I still struggle with getting to bed early. So there's still those basic principles that I'm, I'm still working on. And that's where I have, I feel I'm still at that level too. Um, not that I feel I have to master everything, but I'm still not listening completely to myself. I'm not taking that time to meditate on a regular basis. I do the Tai Chi and that's great, but if the instructor is not there, I don't necessarily take that time to do it myself, go out in the park and, you know, just walk barefoot or dance in my living room, things I actually used to do at a younger age. So it's going back to uh, some of those things that made me happy and figuring out what I want to do for fun. What do I do for fun? Someone asked me that question and I really wasn't sure what to answer. Do you have an answer now that you could uh, share with us? Is there something, if if somebody asks you that now, like, okay, so you were asked that before. What about if you had, if I said, Helen, what do you do for fun? I'm still discovering that, to be honest. Okay. Is there anything that you've discovered yet? I know taking classes for myself is fun. If I go out for that run for myself, it's fun. But I still have to incorporate a few more things that's just fun and not work-related. So... I tend to fall back into a lot of work-related activities. Uh, And like I mentioned before, there is that fine line. And it all surrounds that physical fitness. And I need to find stuff outside of that, I think, to balance balance things out. So whether it is is to um, sit down and enjoy a movie with my partner, you know, sit down and watch a hockey game and not wait till the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) So I am a Habs fan. Okay. (laughs) It's very big here. Absolutely, he's a, right. He's a, a big uh, hockey fan. So, you know, it's also spending time with him. So he also tries to uh, uh, remind me to just relax and have some fun. You know, with winter's coming. Um, I'm not much of a skier, but maybe there's some other activities I could I could do. Okay, well, you said sitting down and uh, watching a movie. What's, what's the last either movie you saw or the best movie that you've seen recently? Maybe not the same thing in particular there. Oh, wow, now you're challenging my memory. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Or even just if you was, have any favorite from, movies overall or favorite documentaries. Was, yeah. No, it was a Disney movie. Okay. <laughs> and I think he actually went to bed and I continued to watch it. What was it? Do you um, remember what it was? What was it? Oh, it was Cinderella. Cinderella, wow. Cinderella. That's a throwback there then, too. It was Cinderella. And it was the remake. It wasn't the old virg- uh, Disney version. It was uh, the remake. Okay. All right. Yeah. And how was it? I mean... Did you, so was that something that made you happy? Like you were just able to sit down and enjoy then? Yeah, and it brought me back to childhood. I mean, not that I ever dreamt of being Cinderella, but it's still, it was part of childhood uh, stories and, and uh, movies and it brought me back there. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. He went to bed and I could have gone to bed. I said, no, no, I'm enjoying this movie. Let me finish watching it. That's great. Hey. That's hey. great. Oh my goodness. All right, so then you said like, you sometimes struggle with getting to bed early. Now, are there any set routines that you have throughout your day where it's like, hey, every time I get up, I'm doing this? Or maybe you have a bedtime routine. It's just like at a different time. Like, are there any specific routines that you really like to follow and just stick with on a daily basis? Or does that change even daily or weekly for you? I'd say it changes daily, weekly, (laughs) especially now without the full-time job that's a set schedule. Um, So there are mornings that I'll have a client at 8 a.m., A few mornings I may have a client at 7 a.m. Other days I'll have a client only at 10 a.m. or at noon. So I don't have to wake up at a specific time every single day. Even weekends can vary depending if I'm given a workshop seminar or teaching a course or if my weekends are free. And therefore my evenings um, vary as well. So it often depends if I have anything to prepare for the next day. 
if I want to add a little bit more uh, reading or researching. And I guess uh, growing up, I was always one to stay up late. I could. I wasn't one of those people that had to be in bed by a certain hour. Being the youngest in the family, I was probably conditioned that way. Everyone else was up, so I was up. It doesn't mean it was the best thing for me. But if it's something that uh, I still feel my immune system goes down if I don't get to bed by a certain hour, no matter how many hours of sleep I get. And with winter uh, at our doorstep, it becomes more of a factor. So I really have to work on uh, just shutting down, shutting down the computer, um, whether it's scheduling myself better. So there's always that uh, managing my tasks a little better ahead of time. So I'm not struggling to finish up a program the night before I meet the client. Uh, but then again, I feel more connected that way. So it's really finding that fine line. Uh, the closer it is to meeting the client for the next program, I f that's where I'm going to be at the best place to choose the right things for them, as opposed to uh, setting it up a week ahead of time. So it's, uh, again, it's that fine line of balance. Now you talk about uh, just the immune system there. Are there anything that you use, like do you use any herbs, spices, uh, like any oils or anything like that? to help boost your immune system, or it doesn't have to be necessarily food related like that, just anything else, obviously besides, like you said, the importance of sleep, the immune system, but anything else that you share, uh, could share with us that you really like uh, to help boost that immune system? Like you said, we are going into winter uh, right now as well. Um, not, I don't have anything set in particular, only I do recognize when I'm not getting adequate uh, fruits or vegetables uh, into my diet. So there's, I have to have that added effort to incorporate those daily. Um, I have my bone broths or my chicken broths and uh, a lot of homemade meals and lots of spices in them from uh, all different nationalities and backgrounds. I have a partner who's an amazing cook <laughs> and will, who can cook from any culture and so uh, obviously there's a use of several spices. Um, what so are I'm, some of your favorite dishes that uh, your partner makes for you? Oh geez, where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> He comes from a Croatian-Slovenian background, so he makes amazing sauerkraut and cabbage rolls, um, all the way to um, some Mexican dishes. He lived in Mexico City for some time, so some uh, roast, even lamb tacos. So with the chopped up cilantro, and uh, he does his own hot sauce, hot sauces. So we'll go through that. Being of a Portuguese background, uh, he can even master some of the Portuguese dishes. <laughs> okay. What, okay, what, what's your favorite Portuguese dish, or maybe a few? Um, Portuguese dishes can be very simple as kale soup. Okay. So it's called either a green soup or a kale soup. So it's, uh, it's a broth with uh, potato, if you want, in it, kind of mashed up and chopped up kale. Very simple. And then you toss it in every bowl, you place uh, a slice of sausage. So that's the typical uh, kale soup. Um, he'll make another type of platter, um, not sure what it would be called in English, but it's kind oh, of like... in Portuguese even, yeah. And changing languages now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Cozido, it's called cozido, okay. which is basically a, a pot of cooked uh, different meats. It could be pork, it could be beef, uh, mixed with cabbage and again other greens. And it's kind of just like stewed and usually cooked in an earthware platter in the oven. So um, we try to get organic uh, products as much as, uh, organic foods as much as possible. So whether it's rutabaga and the cabbage, um, different types of cabbages and sausages. Uh, he's a sausage maker by trade as well. So that's a little handy. Yeah, so as you can tell, probably different extremes. He makes amazing Indian dishes as well. So turmeric and cumin and all that fun stuff. A lot of spicy. You have me when he said that he's a sausage maker. Like that sounds incredible to me because I just love 
rich fatty cuts and I just I really do love different sausages because of all the different spices that they have like you can just take like you said either some some beef some pork and just like some extra fat in there and then the things that you can do with it like once once it's cooked up I think is just absolutely incredible lots lots of choices absolutely and he taught me you need a certain amount of fat for your sausage to be good and juicy that makes sense and I'm sure there's there's also like an overboard too like he's probably yes. found that right mix and I guess that ratio might even change I guess depending on what spices you're using and whatnot I'm sure I, like I, I can't even begin to imagine for sure for sure you'll have to taste it one day <laughs> I, I, I like it no that sounds great okay so you said sometimes so, at night like you do some reading some researching is there any current topics that you're really into uh, or any books that you've read recently that you've really been attracted to uh, well, lately my focus has been on any new uh, techniques or trends in muscle toning classes and anything related to biomechanics. I'm giving a workshop tomorrow, so that's been my focus of trying to find uh, whether there is any new research out there or just applying the new principles of plyometrics and uh, functional training as well as all these um, high-intensity interval training uh, systems and incorporating them into a group fitness toning class. So that I'll be delivering tomorrow, so that's been my late focus and just bringing people up to par so taking them from the journey of the 80s and the 90s uh, with warm-ups of neck circles and, and and ballistic movements all the way to where we're at today which incorporates the the three planes of movement the transverse plane the sagittal plane and the frontal plane and not just sticking to one alone which was the traditional um, way of, of training and just reminding them that the core can be worked uh, in many ways other than just the uh, the basic crunch. So some instructors are still stuck in that uh, 90s era uh, of the uh, 50 crunches and all forms of crunches, but recognizing group fitness attracts uh, a group of people that lead sedentary jobs and are stuck at a desk all day. They need to do more than just spinal flexions to get most of the benefit. So that'll be tomorrow. Well, this will be going out uh, after that, but uh, in the future, people can definitely check out uh, some of your some of your workshops, some of your presentations, and uh, we'll be sure like make sure they know where to uh, kind of find some of that stuff then too. But you mentioned the three planes of movement. What is uh, and I'm guessing you'll probably agree, but I don't know. Transverse plane is probably the one that's most neglected. Uh, are there any just basic movements that you're a big fan of to really start using that transverse plane? So if everybody doesn't know what we're talking about, this is going to be more of a rotational component uh, because sagittal is that straight ahead. Uh, and that's where most people, like you said, are locked into with just that neck flexion, just repeat it over and over. Uh, but any uh, exercise that you like or like to share with others that really help with getting that, getting those other planes involved? I mean, sometimes I like is to mix the planes up so it's not strictly just transverse or sagittal or frontal, but kind of a combination of two or three. Um, something like a wood chop would combine uh, the three. So taking something from the top right corner towards, let's say, the uh, above the head to the right towards your left knee would be coming across uh, more than one plane. So movements like that or a forward lunge, which would be sagittal, but with a, a rotation to the right. So incorporating that with the movement. Um, a squat while bringing the weight towards your left foot. So again, just adding a little bit of rotation, which, you know, people tend to come out of their car just from going in and out doing more than one movement at a time so it's kind of preparing them for that you're doing laundry are you always facing your your dryer when you're pulling things out or 
are you sort of sideways? Is your kitchen big enough that if you're putting a roast in the oven, you're able to do it by the front or are you doing it from the side? So taking those uh, common factors into the workout um, is sort of what I like to do, whether it be with older adults or um, all populations. And I, I love that you say that because we always think, well, it's just, I gotta, just gotta work out, like talking before, like, okay, all you, we used to do is work out, work out, go crazy. But you take that into account, like, okay, if it's somebody who's at home and they need to be able to, like, if you're filling up, uh, making one of these, like, Portuguese dishes or Mexican dishes, like you were talking about, and you have to put a heavy roasting pan into the oven that's all full of the, the, the liquids, the, the, the meats, the veggies, and you have to twist to do that. Well, that can injure a lot of people because they've not trained in that position. They're not strong in that position. So I love that you incorporate that with not only like younger clients, but you said like older clients as well. It's like the entire population has to be able to do those movements. It's not that we just completely stop doing them as we get older. Absolutely. And even something like a single leg, single leg Romanian deadlift, many people pick something off the floor in that position. So how about teaching them to do it a bit more proper? Uh, so that so they don't get hurt as they try to pick something up off the floor if they can't do a deep squat to do it um, or even people with children I mean how many times do you need to react quickly and take hold of your little child's arm before they run off somewhere dangerous so you're not gonna think twice you're going to rotate and bend all at the same time so um, Taking all those factors and trying to even make people realize how they do it every day is important because most clients do come back and if they're hurting, it's not something they did with you, it's something they did on their own at home, not realizing. Even making your bed. I mean, if you have to make your bed and pull the fitted sheet, is it, over the corner, right. I mean, sometimes you've got to lift the mattress and your nightstand is in the way. So how do you do that if you're not slightly bent over? and uh, diagonally rotated to the right or to the left. So very basic things. It sounds so simple, but it still is so important. Mm -hmm. So, Alan, what is something that you believe that others think like is just insane? Like you're talking about all these things and I feel like this is, these are often overlooked, but they're so simple, so effective. Like is there something that you believe and like you think is just true that most people, like it kind of goes against the grain. This could be in health or just uh, with, with other things as well. Like just anything that is kind of out of the box thinking that you're a big fan of? It's a good question. Um, I'm a fan of a lot of things, but I do believe there's a right time and a place for everything. And I do believe not everyone is ready for what you want to um, enforce or encourage. I myself may have not been ready to hear certain things at one time and just by hearing it once twice, three times, uh, then I start to either be convinced of it or open my mind to it. Um, a perfect example is when you try to get your family on board to your either organic eating uh, habits or just drinking more water or um, avoiding the juices and the soft drinks, etc., uh, etc. Et Often they don't listen to you until they hear it on TV. So that's the irony of it. You've at least, I, I'll take pride now in saying, well, at I set the little grain in their brain so they were open to it when they heard it on TV. So now they're able to adopt it. Whereas maybe had I never mentioned it, they would not have been open to it or heard it on TV. So it's kind of like when we read a book. You only read what you either need or you only take note of what you're ready to absorb. And you can read the same book twice or three times and you'll get something out of it, something different out of it each time. 
and I believe that's because you're at a different level each time or you're searching for something different each time and so uh, for the people around us I think it's important to share but not to impose and just let people discover uh, for themselves and to grow on their own and not feel that I'm responsible for that change, let them be responsible for that change when they're ready. So I'm not going to necessarily go against anything or wow, there are things that might irritate me, but I'll try to, you know, um, it's more concerning um, people putting money ahead of their health or, um, you know, if I do talk about or, you know, buying organic meat, oh, it's too expensive. Okay, so if you fall sick, how are you going to feel about it? it was too expensive? But they don't make that link of organic can impede health. So it's just the reality, and over time, hopefully, that will change for some, but I can't expect everyone to change as I have. I myself did not eat organic 10 years ago, and then again, if we think back 40, 50 years ago, everything was organic, <laughs> or maybe, you know, before that, but I've read enough and uh, have been surrounded by enough healthy people to have influenced me to make these positive changes, and I think I'd do stand as a role model to people around me, so it's just a matter of time before they, they change their habits and maybe there are other habits that are a priority before they get to that one. If we're talking about just selecting organic meat, for example, over commercial meat. I think that's, that's fantastic and that's a simple place to start there too. It doesn't have to be a massive change, it can be those small changes over time. Uh, like you said, 10 years ago, there were things where you didn't believe were true, but now you believe are true, now you feel are better for you. Um, how about, is there any advice that you would even give, like going back and you're like, like what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Drink more water, uh, less juices, eat more fruit or vegetables and carry it with me as opposed to buying the muffin. Drink less coffee, probably, I mean, I think that's the only, as far as I'd go because at, in your 20s you're also enjoying life, so I wouldn't remind, tell myself not to go out dancing until 3 in the morning that was fun and dancing was good. <laughs> it's something I should do today. Maybe not till three in the morning, but <laughs> there's a lot of good memories around that. It's also not to be too strict uh, with yourself. Uh, know what to do and when to do it and when to stop. I think that's as far as I'd go. But then again, I was a good little girl. At, so I, there, was a, there wouldn't be too much to change. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things you mentioned there was... <laughs> one of the things you mentioned there was coffee. How do you like your coffee now? It varies. I still prefer either the uh, espresso, just plain black, or I will have my latte. I do like my latte, which is the foamy milk on top. Now, if, if you were going to pick a vice, would, that, would the, having the latte be like your biggest vice, or do you have something else, that something that you just absolutely love to do, to eat, whatever it may be? There could be so many. What's, what's the biggest <laughs> one? Let's, let's focus on like that, that big one. Like, What do you absolutely love that you'll just go out of your way for? That I go out of my way for? Yeah, like your biggest vice, like where it's just, hey, if I'm going to have something like this is what I'm going to have, or if I'm going to do something, if it, is it out dance until 3 a.m., like what would it be for you? I mean, when I first thought of it, it could be, but it's nothing crazy like that. It doesn't have to be crazy. Well, let's hear it. What was the first thing that popped in your head? It could be the latte, for example. Okay. Um, or it could be the, the glass of wine or two, or a glass of port, which is a lot higher in sugar content. I'd stick to those two. If I were in Portugal, it would be completely different. It would be those fried donuts stuffed with uh, sweet goodness <laughs> and that are dipped in white sugar. <laughs> you know, so not something I would have here, but right, if I'm right. there, that's what's good there and you can't get anywhere else in the world. So that's what it would be. 
you know, you have to also live, but I wouldn't eat that on a daily basis. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I guess my understanding of advice would be something I would really have regularly, but I'd stick to those. Here in Montreal, it's probably that glass of port or two okay. on a Friday night, and, or the coffee or the latte, which uh, I, you know, I recently discovered, uh, even if my body doesn't feel ill effect from not having a coffee for two or three days, I realize my body does not benefit that much from it. So, whereas before I would not put coffee on a, on a vice list, maybe now I would. So it's something I do enjoy, but not necessarily something that's uh, good for my system and my adrenal glands. Now, you talked about, we've said Portugal a few times, like, is there something like, okay, being from other, another culture outside of the United States, I mean, that's what I've seen primarily, that's what most of my listeners have, uh, know primarily. What would you say is something that you've seen in any other culture that could be, like you said, in Canada, they could be Portugal, wherever it may be, that the U.S. could adopt to help improve their health? Good question. I've thought about this before and I'm not sure I have the answer for it. I mean, Canada is different, but not that different from the U.S. Whereas I know when my parents immigrated here in the 70s, uh, I recall them saying they were allowed to have chickens in their backyard and you're not allowed to have chickens in your backyard anymore. So there probably is a reason for that. I mean, we do live in the, the city. But what was so wrong with, with that is my question. Uh, or what were the prob problems surrounding it? Um, something that I've seen in some countries adopt is maybe um, banning the use of plastic bottles for, uh, for water, etc. So that would be something uh, to look at, although I don't know how that would impact the cost. But if you can return bottles for X amount of funds, etc., would be something to look at. Uh, I can't recall which countries have adopted that, or if in certain states, actually, you already have adopted that, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And as for here, I mean, I have a small garden in my backyard, so even if I live in the city, I do have that garden. Uh, someone, you know, people may argue, well, when it rains, uh, it's polluted rain, and they're absolutely right, but I still believe my tomatoes from my garden do taste better and are probably better than the ones I might buy, although I do try to buy a local, uh, local grown or organic uh, from here, uh, from around here. And uh, I believe uh, if people can learn how to cook in school, that would benefit them a whole lot. So I, I recall growing up having maybe one course in home economics where you learn certain, how to cook certain things or how to break an egg. I mean, that's something we all need. <laughs> and you can't depend on one person in a couple or, you know, what if you, you're single and you don't know how to cook? Uh, your options are either to get catering service or to go out and eat all the time or to buy uh, processed foods. So if we really care about the health uh, of our future, I think it's teaching people how to cook at a young age and how to cook healthy. So how to take real fruits, real vegetables uh, and cook them, how to cook meat, how to eat right. And those I, would I love that answer though. How, like, I, that's something that I've not thought of is just the learning how to cook. I guess because it's something when I grew up, my parents cooked like that was just kind of how it was. And like even just when I went off to college, when since I've moved out, like I've always cooked like uh, now my wife cooks too. Like we both cook. It's not something that I even think about. Like, but that's actually a very good point. Like in the U.S., like not necessarily uh, seen all the time. Like where some people don't know how to cook it. And I guess I never really wrapped my head around that. But you said like that could be something uh, like for a healthy future. Like, what do you think health will look like in ten years, in a hundred years? Like, is there? Do you have a vision for that for uh, for yourself or for the world even? Well. For myself, it, it'll be a healthy future, definitely, and probably even better than it is today. 
um, because I believe I'm healthier today than I was 10 years ago and 20 years ago, even if I was younger then. For the world, I think there will be two extremes, those that are really healthy and those that are not. So I can see those that are not getting worse and those that are healthy uh, getting better. Um, and that's a little bit scary because it kind of divides us. And I would just like it to be easier for those who are not healthy to access either healthy food or to acquire the knowledge of what it is to, to eat healthy. Um, I mean, if, if people's notions of healthy eating is, is taking potato flakes as their mashed potatoes, um, it's not. <laughs> Take a real potato and mash it. <laughs> Cook it down and mash it. <laughs> Throw in some butter and milk and there you got creamy mashed potato. A uh, little bit of nutmeg uh, for flavoring and sea salt. Um, it's not a box of something that, that's processed that you add water to. And and yeah, I mean, and the real mashed potato just tastes so much better. <laughs> well, how do we make that easier access then to people so we don't have that division be between those that are becoming healthier and those that are becoming less healthy? Well, sometimes there's a notion of eating, uh, getting your vegetables costs you more than getting processed foods. Um, at times it's true and at times it's not. Um, I think getting a bag of potatoes is not going to cost you that much and will last you a whole month versus a box of something. Um, I also believe that when you eat quality, you don't need to eat as much. Um, so it's, it's just changing how people see things, but I think the barrier is the effort. You have to think, you have to put effort. You also have to know how to work your stove and not just a microwave oven. Um, there's a few barriers that people may just not have the energy to overcome because they're so tired. And so it's a little bit of a vicious circle. But if, if there's ways to take people by the hand, I don't know if companies have adopted certain times taking people to uh, give health and fitness seminars. How about on nutrition, on cooking seminars? Uh, taking them by the hand and showing them how to break an egg. Some people probably are embarrassed to say if they can't break an egg. I can imagine that that's a possibility. And so um, saying that it's okay. I mean, cooking shows are more and more popular, so there might be a change in that front where more people are cooking at home and realizing that they should. But with both parents having to work or a lot of single family homes, um, I think there is a challenge of, of making that time. Often I hear people, even clients of mine that still use a microwave, well, it's faster, it's convenient. Well, warming something up on the stove will only take five minutes. At the end of the day, it's only, it's not that long, it's not an hour. Um, so 30 seconds versus five minutes, if it means you're getting nutrients into you rather than you're not sure what you're getting into <laughs> to you after those 30 seconds. That's kind of been my, uh, my conversation at times. Uh, with some clients that will choose the microwave just out of convenience. If you're working with a client who just finds like everything bringing up like is an obstacle, like is there any way that you try and help them through that? I mean, do you do, do you give them resources? Do you just talk to them about it? Like, how would you help somebody get past that hurdle of uh, just all those limitations that they may have as far as getting healthy? Um, first, you have to look at what's the biggest problem and that they tackle one at a time. And sometimes it does require providing them with information so that uh, they're informed because they won't believe something unless there's some information about it um, to convince them otherwise. And it's also getting them to choose what are they willing to change. I mean, I can say what I want to say, but it won't change anything. They have the power to change what they want to. So the question has to come up if there are three things that can be changed, which one are they willing to work on? Take it from there. Coach them how. And to what degree? Is it 100% change or you're looking for a 25% improvement and then a 50% improvement or a 75% improvement? 
So taking them through the baby steps and encouraging them that they're doing a great job and they're making positive changes, even if they're small, uh, they're positive changes in the right direction. I mean, you and I didn't get to where we are overnight. It took years. So in the same sense, I have to, I have to give them that time as well. So baby steps, baby steps, and uh, having them select and choose which ones they're willing to take is a big part of it. So what is the most recent uh, change that you've made to your health? The major one was quitting my job. <laughs> the other one is training for myself. Um, let's, go, let's go on the, the quitting the job one, because I think that's one thing that people overlook. Uh, like, they don't think of their job necessarily as part of their health, but if I said to you, Helen, like, yeah, uh, I'm busy, like, uh, going crazy with stuff, and, but, like, my job, yeah, it stresses me out, like, does a lot of this, like, how would you, or how did you even have to get into your own head to overcome that maybe fear of doing so or recognizing that it was affecting your health? Um, it's something I had thought about before and uh, being at, at a location that I had been to, uh, been at for so many years meant that I was aware of a lot of the information and I could help a lot of people. So any new staff that would come in, I'd obviously be the one to be able to help them out. If their supervisor wasn't around, I probably had the answer. Um, because my job has changed a little bit over the years. You just become aware of all the policies and procedures and you can coach the, the new employee along the way. And I guess being the person I am, I'm approachable and people would come to me and ask a question without fear. The problem with that is often what I had to do <laughs> was put on the side <laughs> or was delayed. And for me, customers always came first. And it's just, I, I wouldn't take my lunch breaks. You know, if I was teaching classes at lunch, well, and there's an afternoon meeting, I didn't have my lunch break. Um, my schedule was 11 to 7, which meant I didn't get home before 8 or 9 at night. Some evenings it was teaching till 9 at night, and then students staying behind for questions, so not getting home till 11. So it wasn't a, a healthy schedule where I could get to bed early. I mean, at the end of the day, the decisions were mine, whether I did take my lunch break or made the decision to train myself but I wasn't able to bring myself to that point knowing people needed the help they needed and and I loved my job. I mean I loved what I did in my job. The administrative part was not my favorite and it came to a point where I realized I could still do the parts I love about my job and not necessarily uh, be in that uh, schedule or frame and uh, if I wanted more for my future I had to take the dive. I mean, I was stuck, you know, I didn't want to move up necessarily into any director position. Um, so what else would I do if I wasn't going to do this for the rest of my life? I mean, I was helping people, yes, but I was limited on what I could do because it had to fall within that frame of my position. And so I just took the dive and I don't look back. I learned a lot in those 15 years. I have no regrets. And I think that's something very important uh, that we have to remember in life. Whatever you do, you don't want to have any regret. Um, but I was just ready to move on, and so here I am. So then, after learning this about yourself, like, what is your current dream or passion that you were just absolutely head over heels for, that you're just following for yourself? I need to love myself to be able to take care of others. So I've always liked to be able to take care of others. Um, if I want to help people, I want to be 100% present, not 50% present. I want to be able to help people where they no longer need my help. So, yes, I would want to be able to help clients where they can then go off and not require my expertise. So I need to be able to dedicate my time to that. So my future dream is, you know, just to have my own practice, have my own 
uh, whether it be a studio, uh, whether it be here as well as abroad, uh, whether it be to be an international presenter, um, I think now I have time to think of all those things and, and find my direction. Um, now that I have a bit more flexibility with a schedule and a bit more free time. So when I did have my full-time job, I was also meeting clients privately on the side. So that's the reality. I didn't have only one job. It's the fact of having two or three. Um, and so now being able to focus on those second or third jobs, which have now become my first and second, yeah, I'm working towards that, uh, that dream and finding the pathway. If you ask me what to describe that dream today, I might describe something today, but I know it might change six months from now. So, Absolutely. so I tend not to describe fully, but I'm trying not to set myself not to describe it because uh, the dream today, it's okay if it changes in six months. It still gives me a direction to go in. So yeah, I'd love to have my own website set up. It's not there yet. <laughs> so when is that going to happen? Let's, let's hear it on the air right now. I'd like, I'd like it to happen in 2016. 2016? And yes, what is, what is going to be on this website? I'd like to be able to offer people um, exercises that they can do at home. I have a lot of friends that are, you know, they can't get to a gym, they can't work out, they don't know what to do, they don't know what to do safely, so they're ordering videos and they try. Um, but if I can have something that I can coach them on week per week, uh, one step at a time, then that would be great. So that means I can coach and train people from afar. That would be one aspect that I've, uh, I'd like to, to have accessible on that website as well as being able to offer any uh, seminars and live coaching sessions to groups of people, whether it be older adults, mothers, uh, fathers, children. Now, you said that part of it is that you like giving like the lectures, the presenting, uh, possibly tra traveling internationally to do so. What would be your favorite topic to talk about? Or what would even be the name of your lecture? Like if you were going to develop like, hey, here's my go-to, like here's where I'm starting, what would that look like? I don't know. Right now I'm focused on tomorrow's. <laughs> That's a great answer. I like that. That's true. You're so focused on this so one. Tomorrow's is Appliquer les nouvelles techniques biomécaniques en tonnes. Okay. It's a French workshop. So I'll be delivering that in French. I, I could understand a little bit of that. I don't think I would. Uh, <laughs> that would have to be more of a visual workshop, I think, for me uh, to, see, to see what's going on there. So if you were going to offer or if you're going to travel, where, where would you want to teach these classes? Like you said, internationally, where would you like to travel to teach them? Uh, well, I've mentioned a Portugal a few times and I figure why not you know I have family I have friends that are there I go there often enough why would I not be able to share my knowledge with the people there and the fact that I can speak Portuguese means if there's questions afterwards they can they're more than welcome to see me you know the question for me is if I am in Portugal given a seminar like this do I give it in English or do I give it in Portuguese I don't know I'd have to find out <laughs> I could probably offer it in English as most international presenters present in their in English um, so I imagine I could but if I do speak the language, why not offer it in English? Um, I'm in Montreal, which we speak both French and English, and that's why tomorrow's workshop is in French. So that just opens up more doorways. If, if I were to go to France, could I offer a workshop in France in French? Sure. If I'm in Spain, can I offer a workshop in Spanish? Sure. So that would be uh, a way of applying all the knowledge and skills I've gained all these years uh, to more, more populations out there. If I can share my knowledge with other trainers, it means they share it with their clients. How many languages do you speak and how would you uh, recommend going about learning a language? I speak four. I think the, the most important part about uh, learning a language is practicing it. If you don't practice it, you'll forget it or you'll lose the confidence 
to keep trying. So that would be my advice. I mean, I have the advantage that I learned three languages at a young age. So I'm not somebody who learned languages later on in life. And Spanish is so close to Portuguese that I wouldn't say it actually counts. So when I studied Spanish in, in CJEP and university, it was just an easy way to get uh, an easy course to get a high grade in. <laughs> straight honest there. Um, you know, increase that GPA average if I can. Um, but of course, my mom had friends calling our house and the words are different and Portuguese people tend to understand Spanish people, but the reverse is not always true. The Spanish people would not understand me, so I figured why not learn how to properly reply in Spanish and then they could understand what I was telling them, which is my mom's not home right now. <laughs> so that's how I learned my languages at a young age. My parents spoke to us in Portuguese. My brother and sister and I spoke to each other in English because we went to, we were fortunate enough to be able to get to go to school in English. And uh, then I learned French with the friends in the backyard and in the lane. So um, the neighbors were French and then you just, and you learn French in school as well but I got to practice speaking with the neighbors. So there's the, um, the history of my language uh, origins and being able to speak four languages today. So what language would you like to learn? What language would you like to learn to speak next? Um, I think the next easiest one would be Italian. That makes sense based on, because <laughs> I, I took some French and uh, Spanish and I still screw them up because they're, I, I find them to be so similar. Like. I'll do half of a sentence in French, half of a sentence in Spanish, and it just kind of go overlaps on each other. Uh, but that's, that's my Spanish with some Portuguese at times, but uh, I figure Italian would be the next easiest thing. Well, then um, what, what about a not an easy one? Like, so you mentioned your partner being like uh, Croatian, I believe, and something else. Would you want to learn Slovenian? that? Slovenian, um, yeah. Well, he doesn't know the languages that well, so I don't think I could practice with him. Okay. I mean, it depended if I needed it for a reason or had to have a purpose. You know, if there was maybe another country I would want to visit, then that would be the next language I would learn. So what's that country? Where do you want to go visit? At some point in my life, it might be everyone. <laughs> ah, okay. So you like to travel then? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Is there anything on the list? Anything that... Okay, where, where would be that number one place though right now? Right now? If I could be somewhere right now? It wouldn't be anywhere new. Um, just because of everything that's going on, I would just like to stick to something I'm comfortable with. So if it's not here, you know what? Let me take that back. Being in Canada, it's such a huge country. I haven't even visited Canada completely yet. So it would be, you know, visiting British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the Atlantic provinces, Newfoundland, Nova, I mean, I've been to Nova Scotia, but I haven't really seen it all. Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, all the way to the Northwest Territories or the Yukon. I mean, why not? I Labrador. like that. So there's a lot of beauty to be seen in this country as well. So I think um, being somewhere familiar would be that, or it would be by the ocean in Portugal. <laughs> Here I go back. But there are several other countries I'd like to visit. I mean, I won't. I won't lie. It just uh, I'd like to learn a little bit about each country before I do visit it, just to get the most out of the experience and knowing I may not return to it. So I haven't quite been uh, on that thought yet. Very nice. So. Coming up on the end of the show here, and a few questions that I ask everybody, and one of the first ones is, who would you want to hear on this podcast, but also, what would you want to ask them, or what would you like to hear them speak about? I don't know. How about, is there anybody, even that you follow, that you've been reading about recently? Like you said, always kind of reading, researching, uh, somebody that you even follow a lot of that you just like their work. I don't have anyone in particular. 
I mean, a lot of people ask me uh, questions like that, and I never have a clear, I wouldn't say, I, I just don't have an answer. I believe there's, everyone has something to offer, so anyone you have on the podcast, whether they're famous or they're not famous, or if a book comes out, whether they're famous or not, I mean, if they have something to say, I'm, I'm here to hear it out, and maybe I have something to learn from it. So I'm not one to have a favorite actor, I'm not one to have a favorite actress, a favorite movie. You know, even ask me what my favorite color is, you know what, today it's yellow. And sometimes it's blue, and sometimes it's orange, and sometimes it's red. I'm just one of those people that if you ask me to make one, one favorite, one big, I just, I don't have that. I can't please you with an answer. Um, not that you need to be pleased with that answer, but I just don't have an answer, uh, or one fixed answer. Alan, I actually think that the answer that you gave, I, I think that's one of my, the, one of the best ones that I've actually heard because, like you said, everybody has something special to share. It doesn't have to be somebody at the top of, whether it be the health and wellness uh, game, but whatever it may be. I, I, I really like that, that it doesn't matter because everybody has their own interesting things, everything, everybody has that something special about them. So no, I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Now, another one that I ask is, so... What is the one non-negotiable health habit that you never compromise on? But don't answer that right now. We're going to answer that after the show. So everybody's going to have to go check out the show notes over at the Bare Naked Health Podcast so that you can see, and I'll have the links for everything that we talked about here. But Helen, where can our listeners find more about you? Uh, well, for now, if they needed to reach me or had any questions for me, they can email me at helen, H-E-L-E-N dot health, H-E-A-L-T-H at hotmail.com. Um, but to look out for a website come 2016, possibly under All Bodies in Motion. And I'm going to make sure I'm writing that down right now. And I'm going to put that in the show notes or I'll wait to uh, maybe update the show notes and make sure to notify everybody when that comes out in 2016. Because now that you've said it, hey, it's, it's out there for everybody. Exactly. We, we're all going to want to hear. We're going to want to see it, know what it's all about. And uh, I do have a name for it. <laughs> that, and that's even better, right? So all bodies in motion. Everybody's going to have to keep an eye out for that. Or maybe I'll send out another email in, uh, in a couple months to everybody to say, hey, it's time to go check out Helen's new website. So Helen, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate what you shared with all the listeners. There was, there was a lot of great insight here, and I think people can uh, take that home and really, really think about it. So thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to go check on your brain health by going over to the barenakedhealthpodcast.com and taking the free brain quiz. By doing so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Four Morning Secrets to Perfect Brain Health, shipped to your door. Also, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out and helping to share the podcast with others.